0: Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf.
1: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf and Associates and the Innovative Leaders Institute. I work with leaders in their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on the award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I am also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. So we talk about the rate of change we see in our current world, and according to Ray Kurzweil, we anticipate 20,000 times the rate of technology change in this century than we saw in the last century. And Ray Kurzweil is the leading engineer for Google. As leaders, this means that we need to change, we need to continue to update how we lead, actually changing our behavior as leaders to ensure that we transform the organizations we lead. Truly effective leaders continue to innovate who they are as well as how they lead to ensure that they can transform their organizations. I am really excited to have Gary Weber join us again. He's been an ongoing and one of our most popular guests. He's a subject and collaborator in neuroscience studies at Yale, Johnson Hopkins, at Penn State, The Institute of Noetic Sciences, the Bowman Institute, and the Center for Study of Non-Symbolic Consciousness. So Gary probably has one of the more researched brains of anyone I know. So from 2000 to 2004, he was responsible for all technology transfer operations of a university, including angel investing, venture capital, licensing, patenting, and startup support supervising seven organizations that included startup support and financing as well as three economic development organizations providing support for regional business covering the central regions of Pennsylvania he was responsible for external industrial r&d contracts and interfaces with the with the university earlier in his career in the late 90s gary was responsible for all corporate or in, R&D with four research laboratories, approximately a thousand engineers, scientists, and technical people. He was also a member of the executive committee at that point. Since then, he has been researching, speaking, and writing about the cognitive science research and approaches for achieving happiness. He is applying his extensive research skills and extensive personal practice to helping leaders and employees become more effective through building an ability to focus and change their thinking processes. So I want this Voice America show to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that help them prepare to lead their organizations or continue to update how they lead their organizations in the dynamic times that we face. The more effective leaders are, the better the journey all of us have since the work of leaders ripples through the entire world. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you as the listener to find something in this show that you can apply starting today or tomorrow to how how you're thinking, behaving, and to your personal practice. So the outcome for this show, Gary and I talk about leadership operating systems, and we're working with... This concept based on our brain programming and the level of conscious awareness of this operating system. When we increase our awareness, we can reprogram this operating system to move beyond the survival and ego based systems to a more deliberate service based long term success oriented system. In our current time, with increasing complexity and challenge, we as leaders need to continue to commit to updating our operating system to ensure future generations thrive. This is something that must be done by every leader. This isn't something the other guy can do. This is something that each of us need to do. We can look at this in political roles and senior roles and think that they take care of it, but in reality each of us and and I'll say leaders and non-leaders need to really be listening to what Gary talks about. And of all of the people I've interviewed, I've probably used what I've learned from him the most in coaching clients because this is this is new information that we're often not taught in school or weren't exposed to because this research didn't exist back when we were in school and studying and learning to become leaders. So adding this new thinking to our algorithm can really up our game as far as being effective as leaders and it can also up our game as fellow, as human beings to be more engaged and more happy and more present in our lives, and that's at work, but also at home with our friends, with our family. And as humans, being more present with the people who love us seems like one of the most important things we can do. So, Gary, thank you so much for being with us and for sharing your wisdom over this number of shows. Let's start with the idea of the elephant and the rider. And I know you've talked about that before, but let's reground in
2: that first. Okay, Maureen, uh, as we have discussed before, uh, one chunk of new information we've gotten fairly recently is the fact that there is a conscious uh, part of the brain and a part of the brain that is not conscious, that we're not aware of what's going on down there. The difference in processing capability between the rider, the conscious person that we are the blah, blah, talk, talk, talking all the time, is it runs a 40 to 60 bit per second processor It handles basically seven pieces of data at the same time and solve one problem. Very limited capability. The offline part, the elephant that we talk about, runs at least at 25 million bits a second and much higher than that because it's operating massively parallel. The rider has, a, has about one 500,000th the capacity of the elephant. The elephant basically does all of the work. Uh, virtually all of the decisions get made, uh, all of the processing that's done for the body is done in the elephant. Uh, the rider has a very small role in this. As a reason we evolved this to be the way it is. But really everything, 99.99% of what gets done physically, mentally, emotionally, happens offline, parts where non-consciously available to us in the elephant. So begin getting at in your consciousness about the difference between what we're conscious of and what we can't be conscious of, which is the vast majority of all the processing that goes on, including decision-making and choices.
1: And let me say something back and kind of test my knowledge from our prior conversations because this seems really important to me. So much of what we do is based on habit and yet by being more conscious and using the practices you talk about, I can start to reprogram that unconscious elephant and shift some of those functions to my conscious writer.
2: Well, you can't shift very much to the writer because there's not much processing capability there. Uh, what what you find happens is that as you become more uh, accustomed to working with this offline processor and recognizing that's where all the work gets done, that you begin de-emphasizing the strength of the writer and you, you more let go into the realization that, in fact, the decisions are all being made continuously in the elephant, second to second. Every decision that you make, whether it's, do I go left or right at this next door do I pick up the tea or the coffee? Do I enter the phone or go someplace else? That's being made continuously offline in the elephant. We're not even conscious of that as the writer. It's just happening continuously through the day, almost second by second in the elephant without us even being aware that it's taking place. We're just up there basically as a press secretary. Uh, we only hear about the decisions if there are major ones that might impact us and need communication to other riders on other elephants. Uh, But it really uh, goes heavily offline uh, the more you get into this and begin to understand uh, where the processing is. And it's 99.99%. There's a pile of cognitive neuroscience research supporting this.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about the neuroscience research and... How it how does
2: that work? Well, how it works is, you know, the, the elephant has lots of background information on all kinds of decisions. You might be making a decision in your business, and so the elephant has has a lot of a lot of uh, background history from having watched this operation go on for, for probably years and years. And what it does is, a decision comes up, and the elephant has you know two sets. It has pro and con, and it's running. Ah, uh, pros and cons against all major decisions, even all minor decisions. And it really votes. Basically, it goes out and gets constituencies across the brain, and assembles those and cues them up. And whichever one has the most votes, pros and cons, when the time comes to make a decision, that's who gets the nod, and that's what the decision is, and that's how tr- and it's transmitted up to the writer as a feeling. Uh, how the elephant talks to the writer by feeling. As a feeling comes up, it has a certain energy to it. And the writer just broadcasts out, okay, this is what we're going to do. But it's all done vote by vote by vote offline, almost none of which we're conscious of. So
1: there are these constituent parts of my brain. Where do those
2: parts come from that are voting pro and con? That's where the brain, where the elephant finds them useful to engage them. There's kind of a recruiting process that goes on in complicated decisions where each side, pros and cons, uh, runs around and gathers up constituencies all across the brain that might have some kind of an interest in this vote. Uh, but it's scattered all over the brain, and it's uh, basically going around and trying to you know, recruit enough people for the pros or the cons, whichever side you're on in the elephant, to get your votes there. And it will change with time. I mean, what was a good decision for your business before with a lot of, you know, situations behind it may become, oh, if the elephant gets more and more information con, it's able to come up then and upset that, change the bias, and then shift it over to doing the con. So it's just, it's it's an ongoing, continuous process of voting uh, on who's really going to be pro or con and move this this process ahead. So I'm really curious,
1: what are... Uh, it, within my brain, I, I understand that when I'm out talking to people, there are different human constituents. But what's curious to me is, in my brain, there are different constituents. How does that happen?
2: Well, if, if you watch as you go through the day, as you talk to people, uh, you will see that you know, we, we don't have the same personality show up for every meeting. If you meet with the person A, there's a certain... Marine shows up for certain, for person A. Person B, then a different Marine shows up for person B, and on and on. If it's A and B, B and C, A, B and C, different Marines show up for each one of those meetings. You can actually watch this change, you can feel it in the course of the day. So we have many, many different, it's not just one eye there, it has many, many hundreds, perhaps thousands of eyes there that situationally on an ad hoc basis, or as relationships change, the marine changes. So it's really a dynamic process, which kind of undermines this idea that we have a constant eye that is there all the time talking to people. If you watch carefully, uh, you don't think up what you say, you don't even think up your thoughts. And so you have to get a feeling for this, that in fact, you know th- this is a constantly changing, th- shifting ground. this marine thing we've got or Gary thing or whatever. So
1: I get that I'm different when I'm with my sweetie than I am with my business partner, and appropriately so. So it's almost as if, if I look at an infographic and there are lots of little people, all those little versions of me are, one may be soft and kind, one may be more... Uh, directive and business-focused, one may be more compassionate, all those constituents live inside of my brain and they all vote against each other.
2: Well, what they do is, as you show up in your meetings in the course of the day, um, there is, for that situation, I and mean, there's a lot of background on meeting with your sweetie or meeting with your business partner or meeting with your boss or meeting with you know, one of your clients. There's a lot of background behind who shows up for each one of those things and what your past history has been with that particular person. Uh-huh. It sort of really gives you this this sense of okay which Maureen shows up and well how's she going to manifest today? Because that may also change as you meet your your client with time or different clients or you've had good experiences or bad experiences with them. So that Maureen can change, but it, it is it is sorted out for each individual situation on an ad hoc basis which Gary or Maureen or Bob or Fred shows up for whatever meeting is taking place. And so it's important to recognize as leaders that we have this shifting ground and the people we're talking to, they're having the same kind of shifting ground. So they're making this decision a different personality as we are. We'll be right back, Gary
1: Weber and Maureen Metcalf talking about brain science and how we make decisions.
0: Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Join host Sandy Giroux each week for Leadership and Life. This program illustrates different aspects of leadership and shows you how it's not just confined to the workplace or even our job duties. You'll hear more about the human side of leadership, which includes connecting on a non-work-related level. In fact, a lot of what happens on this level definitely affects how leaders are viewed as such. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Work Life Confidential, with host Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Tackles issues that people just like you face every day. Workplace stress can make you sick. You may face toxic relationships at work, low or no job security, and these stresses may spill over into your home life. Speaking of home life, are you facing problems there? We'll help you sort it all out. Work Life Confidential airs live Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're joining Gary Weber and Maureen Metcalf and we are talking about neuroscience and how it impacts leaders and decision-making. So before the break, we were talking about the elephant and the rider, and then moved into how do we make decisions, and each of those personas in our brain influencing a decision. I'd like us now to talk a little bit about confirmation bias. So how is what's happening in the brain that relates to confirmation bias?
2: One of the most... Uh I'd say not good things that we evolved into our uh, current hierarchical structure in our brain, which we evolved probably starting uh, 70,000 years ago, and really got cranked up maybe 45,000 years ago, is confirmation bias. Uh, we were in large hierarchical organizations. We were able to get large masses of forces assembled in complicated roles and reassign them to do some amazing things. And with that, we became the dominant species on the planet. A part of that hierarchical confirmation or hierarchical structure relied upon confirmation bias. And what it was 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 I'm going to take whatever information I have now. I'm going to keep gathering more information to support that belief. So if I believe it's, it's the left, then I keep gathering information that supports my belief that it's left. And I just reinforce that and reinforce that continuously. How this really uh, bothers us as managers, or really confounds us as managers, is that we have a difficult time getting contrary inputs. We are so, you can see it in today's news media, with uh, fake news, etc., we keep feeding into what we call already believe. If we read uh, left-leaning newspapers, we keep reading left-leaning newspapers, or right whatever if you if you like the eagles and you don't like the patriots then you keep gathering eagle information and, and not, not doing patriots information so you just keep uh, building up longer more and more uh, information supporting your already existing biases and what how that, what that leads you to eventually is that you really are almost incapable of accepting information that's contrary to what your current beliefs are this can be some, some research on this that shows that in fact If you get fed information that strongly contradicts your current biases, you will, in your brain, try to find some way to twist that around so it really supports what you already believe. So it's very important that uh, managers, especially if you're in in the C-suite, have some way to get some some unwanted contrary inputs different from your current misconceptions. Go ahead.
1: So It sounds like, and we kind of know this, that Google and, and other algorithms, every time I log onto my computer, I get more information about the stuff I, I read regularly, and I don't get much information at all about contrary points of view. So I'm already being fed data that supports my bias, and then my brain kicks in and reinforces that. So, how do you recommend people get information other than we just the old-fashioned way we ask?
2: Well, that's an important observation. What you make if you're on YouTube or something, you look over the right-hand side, you will notice you get fit, you get fed not just things that support your confirmation bias, but certain, but many things that are emotionally charged. Uh, we find that Google has found that everybody else has found that if you have very strong emotionally charged uh, beliefs. Uh, what you want to be fed is even stronger confirmation And mm-hmm. that. And so you know, Google tees this up. I mean, the, the, depending on who you talk to about the who did what when in the past administrations in the past 10 or five or ten years, uh, they just feed into the most emotionally charged input they can have that confirms your bias. And you will jump to that. And the stronger it is, the more powerful it is, the more you'll go that direction. So they just feed this direction more and more. It didn't, didn't, doesn't matter from the outside, really, if the United States people, this is a your personal viewpoint, whether they went left or right, just that they weren't far apart. And so a lot of the feeding into this thing, that fake news, was really designed, apparently, to split us apart even more and more and more. And so now we've lost our middle. All we have is left and right. So we've got to find some way to uh, force ourselves to get some unwanted contrary inputs, and I would suggest the ways to do this, are, are to you know really make a conscious effort to get some viewpoints from the other side. There is a rational decision on both sides of the equation. It's not all one or the other, but you've got to recognize that there is you know something behind other people's viewpoints, and if you can you know get another news source, uh, read something, uh, meet somebody who comes from that other standpoint. Uh, you need that to get yourself self-corrected. And that's why I, I urge people to start you know, bring in consultants from outside that don't just give you what you want to hear, which is a real bias in consultants. They want to get this contract. They want to keep it going on. So they will tend to find out what you want to hear and they will tend to give you what you want to hear. So from that standpoint, you need to look very hard to get contrary inputs. And managers have to also at the same time You know, be open to accepting honest input from subordinates and peers without fear of being punished. They have to recognize that you are interested in the truth, in some different perspective on what you're doing. Uh, Many managers are not secure enough in themselves to be able to accept that. So they will just shut down any input that doesn't fit into their bias. And they're the ones that get into trouble. Trouble with their business. You know, you get into your business and you won't listen to any input from outside, how How do you know the stories about your business are true? We believe they're true. We believe these things. We believe they're this and that. But if you look at the history of the last ten years at what's happened to many businesses, they've been completely blindsided. They completely missed the obvious challenge. And so there are ways to just ask very simple questions about the stories in your business. Find out what the stories about your business are. Are they true stories? Are they just things you've been telling yourself? And can you be certain they're true? Do you have anybody giving you a completely 180 degrees out, different perspective? Because if you don't do that, what you're going to do is you're going to be sitting there and suddenly Amazon appears on the scene. And unless you're ready for that, unless you can see that coming someplace along the line, you're just wiped out. I mean, you, you, the big disruptions you're not going to see. Of the last 30 years, There are countless stories of big businesses, very successful, who completely missed the turn because they were so stuck in their stories. So
1: it sounds like even if I get contrary viewpoints, they will feel uncomfortable as the elephant passes this information to the writer. So say I'm liberal and I hear a conservative point of view about this subject and we hear this all the time, but, but I have a trusted colleague or family member who's conservative. They give a well articulated point of view. That's going to feel worse to me than I hear even a less articulate point of view that confirms mine. Is that correct?
2: That's absolutely correct. Yes. I mean, if you, anything from the other side, uh, there's going to be a very strong attempt made by your elephant that's really leaning that way strongly to uh, twist it around to make it look like it really, okay, it's really this over here. They could turn it 180 degrees. But like you're, you're saying, if someone comes in from the other side, you have to be, find some way to predict that coming. I mean, left and right, yes, but also just look at your business. I mean, you can just run down a long, long list of companies who completely missed the turn. They shouldn't. These changes shouldn't have happened. They should have been able to see this coming. You could argue that Walmart should never have happened. There are so many other people in that space, and yet it happened. No one in that space saw this coming. Nor did they see what would happen with Amazon coming. The Same thing happened in books publishing. I mean, so many places just didn't see it coming. You have to get contrary information in so, in fact, you're ready for the possibility that your stories about your business are completely true. They may be false. They may be totally false. You need to be prepared for that by getting some contrary information from some source. Consultants, media, whatever, find some way to get contrary information.
1: So, I, I get the point that I need to get contrary information. I heard that loud and clear. A- and yet there's still this bit of, even if I get really solid contrary information, my gut response or my physiological response or, or the elephant passing the message to the rider is still going to be a beware. That's inconsistent with what I know. So I'm going to hit this confirmation bias concern. Is there any way I can... Ad- tend to that or just I know that that's the way that the brain works?
2: Well, I, I think you if you start to connect, disconnect yourself from every piece of news every day, every minute, I think is one thing you can do for yourself to, to begin to let this be less um, virulent. I mean, do you really need to know every piece of news all the time, every day? If you're chasing that, then you're going to get fed. You're going to seek to feed that and strengthen it over and over again, your confirmation bias. So see if you can let go of every piece of news that you were getting before. And just, you know, don't do that. Just let go of the possibility the necessity to do that and don't feed it more. You, you can, but you really have to to look. I mean, I would say sit down with yourself or your your your, your collaborators and ask what are the stories about my business? What do, what do I believe this business is about? And what do I think its strengths and weaknesses are? This is business you know, 101. And just ask yourself, are these now still true? And they will all say, yes, 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 yes. They say, well, are, are you sure? Somebody has to be there asking, are you certain? That's correct. If you can get somebody from outside, that can be helpful.
1: Okay, so, so again, I'm gonna recount these. So I need to take in more data I need to spend less time on social media and in the sources that continue to confirm my already clear bias. And I need to have a person or people in my life with a significantly differing point of view, not slightly different, not my best friend who thinks a little differently but that person that I'm really not so fond of having a glass of wine with who who's, looks at the world incredibly
2: differently than me. Yes, and one thing, and this gets, this gets a little different, is ask yourself, just in the course of your day, put an app on your smartphone, and in the course of the day, just stop for breaks, maybe every one to two minutes, and just ask yourself very simply, where am I? It's a question so, you should know the answer to. Go ahead.
1: So so say more about that because uh, for our listeners, that's going to sound a little odd. I sh- To your point, I should know where I am. I'm sitting at my desk recording an interview, but there's a deeper value in asking that
2: question. Why am I doing that? Just, to just do it. I mean, yes, why am I doing that? Why I'm doing that is just to get a break in the course of the day. For me, it's a question I ask myself many, many times for many, many years, and I thought as an empirical scientist uh, and heavily involved in neuroscience, I should be able to answer that question. You now, I say, where am I? You say, huh, an interesting question, and I couldn't find the answer to that. And now with our neuroscience, as we look across our brain, this goes back to what we talked about before with the many moreines. I mean, you try to look around your brain, you can see that there is no one marine. You can actually watch the long wave frequencies sweeping across the cortex of your brain, creating new marines. As every relationship change, every situation changes, and you say, where am I? In fact, you find out that you can't find yourself anywhere. There is no one I there. And we've got lots of ways to do this, but just asking that question, you say, where am I? You'll notice the brain just stops for a little short period, because it can't find the answer. It knows there's not an answer. So it's running around hunting for an answer, but it can't find one. And that's very useful. You get a break, and it's a very important data for the brain to get that little, what what happened? Where am I? I can't find myself. You begin to undermine this belief that we, in fact, is an, are one continuous entity that makes decisions because in fact, we don't make decisions. The eye doesn't make decisions, the elephant makes decisions. The writer doesn't make decisions, the elephant makes decisions. And so what are we doing and where are we?
1: So just by asking myself the question and the reason I ask this is our listeners could be saying, okay, I did that once enough. Uh, And you're saying I should do this on a regular basis every day because it gives my brain an opportunity to kind of recalibrate. Is that what you're saying?
2: I I lost the last part of what you said. Oh, okay.
1: So let me restate it. So the reason I'm asking this is I don't want our listeners to say, okay, I did that where my thing once and then I stopped because I'm done. This is an ongoing practice that allows my brain to recalibrate and the value is the ongoing... Thirty-second break or minute break that my brain takes and recalibrates and then comes back online more
2: effectively. Correct. Yes. Even if it's just to give your stream of ca- of craziness during the course of the day a break. If you just stop for a minute or two and just ask yourself, "Where am I?" You'll be surprised at the answer. I mean, you might think, "Well, I'm sitting at my desk." But you say, "Well, yeah, but, wh- but where am I? Yeah, and this is desk here, but..." This really, this eye that's going around talking to itself all day long, criticizing itself, you know, judging itself, blaming itself, telling it to do itself better, uh, frightened, anxious, is that a real entity? And you begin looking, where am I? You should be able to find that. And we know inside the brain, watching the brain operate, it's not any place. It's all over the place. So you begin to understand that, in fact, it's the elephant that's doing all this work. And what you as the writer are doing is not that important. Because we can't even find out where you are as the writer. And you see, <laughs> you change all the time. You constantly change. So, I,
1: Yeah, I do constantly change. Uh, much to the chagrin I think of people who think they understand me. So so at this point, it's a good time to go on break. And I really appreciate that question. The one you had me ask was, who am I? And it is interesting that... it having done this practice now every day for a long time i do pause and you would think the answer would immediately come to mind but it doesn't and it does give me time to rethink also who do i want to be so this is maureen metcalf and gary weber innovative leaders driving thriving organizations we'll be back momentarily after our break
0: Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt
2: Hamilton-Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business.
0: The world is changing. Our beliefs about leadership need to change with it. That's the conversation happening at We Lead Radio. On this show, we reveal the simple yet profound truths we have learned from horses that will prepare you to lead confidently in the direction of your future. Join June Gunter, Beth Hijack, Christine Erickson, and Morgan Ridenour every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You are rejoining Maureen Metcalf and Gary Weber talking about how our brains work. And as leaders, what do we need to know about our brains so that we can be more effective? At the end of the last segment, we talked about the prompting question, who am I or where am I? Let's now move into the idea that if the elephant is the one who's making the decisions and passing information to the rider, most of that information being unconscious. And I think, Gary, you said 99.9% of the calculations being done, I am unconscious of. And yet there is this perception as humans that we're in control of our lives. And the more in control, the more effective we are. This seems to be at odds with the elephant and rider
2: idea. Can you elaborate on this? Well, it's more than an elephant and rider idea. That's the definitive neuroscience, except that you don't. I mean, it's really, so we are not in control of the elephant, clearly. But you say, well, can we accept, can we understand the fact that we don't have control over the forces that move our lives? To quote Albert Einstein, um, a questioner asked him, how did you come up with these amazing discoveries? And Einstein says, I claim credit for nothing. Everything is determined, the beginning as well as the end, by forces over which we have no control. And so that was, the, you know, the, the voice of one of the most intelligent persons of the last century. Uh, we really do not have control over who wins the election, uh, who has the weather, uh, who controls the volcanoes. Uh, we just don't have any control over those mega events, nor do we have any control over something as simple as do we think up our thoughts, If we don't think up our thoughts, and we don't, if you watch yourself, think up what we say, and all these other things are out of our control, why are we trying to believe we can be in control, when in fact, we really can't be? We can't affect those things, the the major things in our lives, clearly, and even the minor things in our lives. If you watch in the course of a day, nothing comes out the way you expect it to. And every. So, so for
1: those of us who were brought up thinking we're supposed to be in charge of our lives and our businesses and everything around us, this seems like almost a heretical statement that I'm, in fact, not in control. So what am I doing here? Well, help me understand a little bit more of this, you're not in control, and yet you live your life in a way that... Uh, You're an incredibly intelligent, successful man. How did you get there? How does this work for you?
2: Well, I was a highly deterministic person uh, until I, you know, finally saw, in fact, that I wasn't even there. You know, that I did this, where am I, who am I, what is this thing? And I found out from all the reasoning we just discussed that, in fact, I wasn't there. And I wasn't, I was never in control. I believed I had been. And so the, the great thing about it was it became a wonderful way to live because I didn't punish myself as a fundamental Christian ex uh, by saying how bad I was, how guilty I was for, for not, not succeeding, why I failed. You begin to recognize, look, what all I can do is show up 100% and just mm-hmm. do what comes to me to be done. And I found that to be an amazingly efficient way to operate and a much more creative way to operate. If I don't have a narrative going on in the writer continuously that you failed, you're no good. This is not this is not working out. What's wrong with you? If you don't have that narrative going on, things get a lot different, and so you then can be look like the smartest person in the room. When I ended up and did all these things happened to me, and I found out that I wasn't there, wasn't in control. It's amazing how much better I became at business because I wasn't. I was the only person in the room all the time. Everybody else was someplace else in the room for most of the meeting. So I was the only person who really caught all the intonations, all the voice changes, you know, had done the work ahead of time. And amazingly, you're much, much more creative. So it's actually, uh, you know, not to be in control of your life turned out to be much more effective than trying to be in control of it. Okay,
1: so that makes sense to me. And again, I'm going to continue to replay this because I'm thinking through what you've said and you and I have talked before this, so I'm assuming our listeners are also hearing what you're saying and it, it conflicts with their fundamental views of who they are and how they live and how they're successful. So if I'm not in control, I, I give that up, I, I believe that you're right, then I can let go of those inner conversations and because I've let go of that, I can now be fully present to what's happening in in a meeting or as I'm writing or as I'm in conversation. All of my parts, all of those maureens can now show up and and be engaged because they're not off doing the other things that
2: brains do. Exactly. Because you look at at why we're so anxious, so frightened, so out of control, so concerned, because we think we, are, we should be in control, but it's clear we can't be. We aren't. We never have been. And once you realize that, you just let go into this. Just try it for a week and just recognize, in fact, that I am not in control and see what happens. See what your life looks like and see if it doesn't make a much more holistic, useful, creative, happy life than the one that you're living right now.
1: So you've been doing this for how long, the idea of being not in control or the actuality of being not in control? 20 years. And what did that feel like at the beginning? Because, again, I'm imagining
2: many people listening are saying, no way. Well, and they are. And I, and I know they will do that. And I'm saying just you know, t- take, take all this with a grain of salt. I recognize this, mm-hmm. this is a big jump. But at the same time, just ask yourself, do I think up my thoughts? As simple as that. Just watch your brain and see if you think up your thoughts. If you don't think up your thoughts, why do you think you're in control? And just see in the course of a day, does anything turn out exactly like you felt it had to turn out? We just don't have that ability.
1: So I can say thoughts come into my head all the time. Uh, and some of them I hope I don't think up because they're not very nice. Uh, others seem brilliant, and I also think I didn't think those up. But the the leap from that to I have no control still
2: feels daunting. Well, it's daunting, but just ask yourself, if you, if you just watch, do you consciously think up the thoughts you have, or do they just appear?
1: Lots of them just appear.
2: Uh, okay, you should watch and see if any of them don't just appear. <laughs> I mean, they, they just don't, they just, just, you don't think up your thoughts. And if you don't, how can you believe you could be in control?
1: Because I've always thought I was in control. I thought I became successful because I worked hard. All that stuff that we are taught our
2: entire lives. Yes, false. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 false, false, false. The neuroscience just doesn't support it. And even your simple own experience. If you watch up, do you think up what you say? You don't think up what you see. If you had to think up what you were saying with that tiny little 40 to 60 bit per second processor in the writer, you couldn't, you couldn't formulate a sentence. You, know, you and I aren't thinking up what we're saying today before we're saying it. We're just saying it. And so, you know, it's just happening.
1: You know though, I yet I'm as we're talking, I'm reading my script and doing all this stuff, so I have some belief that it's not just all popping into my head. Although there were times like I did a presentation earlier today, I did nothing that I had planned, and it was way better than what I had planned. So I get that there are
2: times I'm not in control. precisely. I'm not, i I gave a you know, two and a half hour talk this last weekend. And it was hugely successful. I didn't have any idea what I was going to say. I just stood up and and things just started to come out. They come out all by themselves. The best presentations we give are the ones we have no idea what we're saying ahead of time. We've prepared, we know the data, we have the information, we know the audience roughly, we just stand up there and start talking. And it just happens. And it's much, much better than a rehearsed presentation.
1: Okay, but so not but and something you you said there seems really important. I did all the homework. I'm well prepared, and then I show up and be present. It's not like I don't do any homework. I don't know where I'm going, and I just get to the airport and and mysteriously know which car to get in.
2: Exactly, the same thing's true in your business world. i mean, I always read the exhibits. I always was well prepared for the meetings with High, high in the Corporation, and yet I just sat there. And I had no plan on what I was going to say. And it turned out to be the smartest stuff in the room.
1: Okay, again, I, I'm elaborating on this because they seem like really important distinctions. So I've done a ton of preparation. You've studied your entire life to get here. And before you go to a presentation, you know who's in the room. You know what their expectations are. You may have even done a, a Crafted a presentation, you and I crafted a script. We may not do any of the things in it, but we were prepared
2: for the conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, you can't walk into a room having no idea what you're even going to talk about as a subject.
1: <laughs> okay, well, when the, the no. no control thing could go all the way to, oh, I got
2: up and I walked out the door. But it doesn't. It doesn't, though. I mean, you stand like this big presentation this last weekend. You just stand up and you just start talking. And amazingly, it just comes out. You just have to trust that you have a lot of information and it's going to come out as it comes out. It's out of your control anyway. It really is out of your control. If you can't think up your thoughts, you can't think up your presentation either. So just let it come out and see what happens. It's much, much better, much more engaging, much more in the moment than if you have a scripted thing that you're reading very carefully to people and they get bored very quickly with it.
1: So again, I, I keep diving into this because I as you talk, I hear it differently. So just like we have a script for our recording that we haven't followed. But you and I did a lot of work to prepare and because we're prepared, then we can throw it away. Exactly. And in fact, it got much better when I stopped reading it because then I was paying attention to you.
2: Yes, and you could feel the difference. If, if, you, if you, you, could, you could feel the difference when you were reading what you had prepared
0: as opposed mm-hmm.
2: to when you went extemporaneous. When you went extemporaneous, it was fantastic. It became alive. It was happening right in front of us. It's very moment. Mm-hmm. And so it gets much more engaging to people who are listening because they can see what you're working with. They can feel the difference between the immediacy of this presentation when you're not scripting it or when you're reading it, which they go blah 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 blah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I feel too, but I still need to get your name right. So, and some of your experience. So, some scripting seems
2: relevant
1: and appropriate. Or you're going to tell me no?
2: No, I, 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 I don't have that experience. I mean, no, I, <laughs> I, I, this person just back to specific, I mean, I've done. A couple of presentations the last several weekends, and they've all been totally spontaneous, open, a lot of discussion, a lot of shouting and hollering, a lot of questions, a lot of unpredicted stuff, and you just are there in the moment, and you're so much better there in the moment than having a script that just suddenly blew up in your face.
1: Well, yeah, the emotion that happens when the script blows up in my face for me is not good, no. and then the conversation starts in my head about what an idiot I am. Exactly not everyone has that experience, but I, I do.
2: But a lot of people do, and that's why that's why to me it's dangerous to be trying to reading something to a group, because they'll just start, you know, they'll turn you off at, at, at worst, at best, and at worst they'll begin attacking you. And if you're gonna prepare the script, <laughs> the script blows up in your face. Often.
1: Okay, so so I wanna then bring us back to summarizing for the listeners what I'm hearing, and hopefully, we're all taking well we're all taking something away that this idea of control seems foundational and significantly different than i was raised with that that the most effective leaders yes do all the work to prepare so i don't walk in unprepared and just have stuff come out of my mouth that i don't have to be responsible for so i i've been well prepared I show up, and, and I do have the experience that things come out of my mouth that I didn't plan, and generally, I think they're better than not, but occasionally I say stupid stuff. So, and, and we've got, like, one minute to to wrap, but what is the recommendation for the listener to put this into practice? I own that I don't control it, so what do I do? Just,
2: just recognize that, and you know, let go. It'll be an enormous load off your shoulder. Just accept the fact that you cannot be in control. You aren't giving up something you have. You don't have it to begin with. So all you're doing is understanding that you don't have control and accepting it. So
1: I would pose to our listeners then to, to do an experiment, not with the biggest thing you do in life, but with something that if it goes wrong, the consequences are small and try try on the awareness that in fact you're prepared and you're going to be present and the and trust that the right content will come out of your mouth because you're prepared and present and the elephant actually has the information and is more effective at giving the writer that information than our traditional role of writer trying to calculate so, with that, Gary, can you give our listeners in a way to contact you and then we'll wrap?
2: Just put my name in Google.
1: Okay. And you have a website and
2: yep. books? I have all kinds of things. Website okay. books, videos, podcasts, interviews, articles, uh, all kinds of stuff. It's all free.
1: I was going to say, you're amazingly generous with your content. So as people want to learn more about this and test out these ideas, I strongly recommend Gary's blogs and books. They are just brilliantly helpful. And also that this is, when we started talking, I wasn't sure I bought what we were talking about. So I I assume some of our listeners are feeling the same way. I encourage you to give it a shot. Uh, So this is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, and I welcome your input. Info at metcalf-associates.com is the email, or Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations is the Facebook page. Thank you, and I hope you join us again next week.